Welcome to Terminal Talk, the podcast focused on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. I'm Jeff. And we're here with Cheryl Watson, who is the president of Watson Walker, which is a performance company. So uh, tell us about what you guys do. That's a good starting point. Well, it helps to know where I started, which is I love to teach. And we started by teaching classes in 1986. Um, And it was just me and my husband for a while. And I would go all, all over the world teaching. And I love, I love this this business so much that I love teaching it, turning around and teaching it. And But after a while, it got a little much traveling almost steadily. So we started a newsletter called, and this was my husband's idea, uh, <laughs> called Cheryl Watson's Tuning Letter. <laughs> and he put my name on everything uh so uh even when we got married he finally married me in 2000 (laughs) even when we got married and it's cheryl walker it's still cheryl watson's tuning letters cheryl watson's software cheryl watson's (laughs) classes um but and and that was his idea not mine (laughs) but we started this newsletter and one weekend i wrote a newsletter which was about some of the things i taught and that has been our primary business since 1991 uh since then we've expanded to uh software and consulting but uh the heart of it is really based on the wealth of measurements that IBM provides. And uh, SMF and RMF are my passion and my love. <laughs> and that leads to everything else. That leads to what do you use for performance? What do you use for capacity planning? What do you use for chargeback? And so if I had to encompass what we do it is interpret smf <laughs> no so uh you mentioned smf which i think we've talked about before but i don't think anybody's talked about rmf no. can, can you talk about rmf for a little bit sure when you look at monitoring the uh the system resources of of mvs and i still call it mvs but it's <laughs> cos now when you look at measuring the system resources, you need some kind of monitor that looks at it at intervals. And SMF, while SMS has a lot of data, it's generally on a at the end of some event happening, like at the end of a job step, at the end of a of a job, at the um, uh, when a command is issued, those kinds of events. But RMF is a monitor that does things in intervals, sometimes fifteen minute intervals, thirty minute intervals. So if you want to know what the CPU busy was or the CPU utilization, you want to know what it was every 15 minutes. You want to know what the average DASD response time was every 15 minutes for every volume, for every control unit, for every channel. 
And so you need a monitor to collect those. IBM's monitor is RMF, Resource Measurement Facility, Mm -hmm. instead of SMF, which is System Management Facility. (laughs) And so uh, where does RMF record this information? For the most part, it records it to SMF, and it's record type 70 through 79. And this is what is really the heart of the performance and capacity planning information because you want to manage those system resources. And so um, how much of what you do um, drives people's capacity planning as opposed to, say, set up for optimal performance or cost? That's a tough question. Um, You can't have one without the other. Uh, You can, well, let let me put it this way. Um, Performance is generally thought to be tuning a system to reduce the amount of CPU time. Most people would accept that as what is performance. It's, It's tuning the system. And for that, you need to know what resources are being consumed by which work. Capacity planning, on the other hand, is, okay, that's what I'm using today. What will I need tomorrow? What will I need next week? How many LPARs? How much CPU time? How many uh, CPCs will I need? If you don't understand the first part, then you can't possibly predict the second part. Mm. Um, And so I see it more as a continuum. Now, there's something a little odd about ZOS in general Mm -hmm. because the majority of the cost of ZOS is the software. And the software is charged, and this is insane, but (laughs) the software is charged during one peak hour of the month. And so it's really the highest rolling four-hour average of the month. But still, your entire bill for the month comes down to one hour. So... You can tune all day long on any other hour but the peak hour, and it doesn't save you anything in regards to IBM software. So our focus has always been to people to say, what's your rolling four-hour average peak? And you aim for that for tuning, and you aim for that for capacity planning. So in one way, it simplifies it, but there are things that make even that crazy. So if you decide to implement mobile workload pricing, your peak may change. And then where are you? You're tuning the wrong place. You're doing capacity planning for the wrong place. So it's the complexities of all those together 
that I find so fascinating, and it's a challenge in every data center. Mm-hmm. And if you've noticed, I've, I talk about pricing a lot because that's of high interest uh, today. If you take a look at, and and I've been noticing this more and more and more, uh, the advertising from almost every vendor these days is how do you reduce your MLC cost? MLC stands for monthly license charge, and it's the way the majority of ZOS, of IBM ZOS software is charged. That has been our biggest interest and uh, consulting business lately because that's where everybody is focused. And every ISV knows that's where the focus is, so they all advertise. Here's how to reduce your MLC cost. But what the customer needs to figure out is, What's running during their four-hour rolling average, and does that ISV even get called during their rolling four-hour average? So I could spend money on a piece of software thinking that I'm going to save myself money, and because it's not part of the peak, it doesn't really matter. That's absolutely correct, and that happens time after time after time. And this is primarily because people don't really understand how that stuff happens? Yes. Even the people that monitor it don't really understand it. And IBM says that they're trying to simplify pricing. And they recently came out with a marvelous new concept called container pricing. But if you don't understand the old pricing, you will not be able to understand the application of this new method and the new method is certainly easier it's a it's a one price you know it this year you know it next year it's really simplified things but it's also made the rest of pricing more complex it's like adding mobile workload pricing on top of your current workload it kind of hides what's going on under the covers. So does does container-based pricing, does that sit on top of the existing four-hour rolling average type thing, or does it supersede it, or how does it? Well, all right, here's, here's the best example I've got. All right. The best use of container pricing, as far as I'm concerned, is their dev test container. And the way it works is, let's say your company's peak happens to be at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when all the Kix regions are in there. I used to live in Europe. It's Kix to me, <laughs> not CICS. Oh, I didn't even realize that was a regional thing. <laughs> uh, so, so let's say your rolling four-hour average is at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when all the Kix regions are there. Because they have a higher priority than testing and development. All the development and test work is run at a lower importance level, sometimes capped, and they don't get any cycles. So let's say that they're taking 
50 MSUs during the peak rolling four-hour average of 600 MSUs. And an MSU being? An MSU, there are eight MIPS per MSU. So if I say... If I say 600 MSUs, I'm talking about 480 MIPS. Math checks out. <laughs> it and, does. And, and what is a MIP? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> oh, a trick question here. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a machine called the 370-155. And if you counted the instructions, it ran about... One million instructions per second. Oh, there's your answer. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't a one MIP machine. It was a one MIPS machine. Right. And it was a measurement of the capacity of the machine. Well, then as the instructions got more and more complex, you couldn't really measure millions of instructions because one instruction might be a thousand times longer than another instruction. And so what they started doing was they created something called, um, and even back then, I think it was called the Large Systems Performance Reference or LSPR. And what they would do is they would give you a ratio between a 155 and a 175. And that ratio would be applied to the one MIPS. And maybe you'd have a machine that was 1.7 MIPS. Just with this ratio, we are still using the same ratios today. Huh. And they, IBM publishes them. They publish the ratios on uh, the LSPR website, and you can find the relative difference between any machine. But today, instead of using, and even back then, they only used ratios. They didn't, IBM published MIPS for a long time, and then they stopped it, and instead started publishing MSUs. And back in the day, (laughs) there were about five MIPS per MSU. And they they created uh, uh, an MSU with a calculation. MSU stands for millions of service units. Now, on every machine, there is a service unit per second ratio. The service units per second, the higher it is, the faster the machine is. And it's the speed on a single CP. So if I have 5,000 service units per second on one CP, and I have two CPs worth, the machine produces 10,000 MSUs. Now, the M, I mean, 10,000 service units per second. But they, when you started creating this, it would run into hundreds or millions of thousands of service units, which is a little hard to deal with. So IBM created a calculation and a new measurement called MSU. 
and they would take the service unit per second for each CPU times the number of CPUs times 3,600, which is the number of seconds in an hour, and divide by a million. And that's the calculation, and you can calculate that today. So you could take a machine and calculate what I call the hardware MSUs, and that's how MSUs came to be. But then there's a rumor, and I have no idea. (laughs) Frank will know, but I don't. The rumor was that the hardware people, as they came out with, and I think it was the uh, Z196, they wanted the software people to reduce the price so that people would go to the Z196. And they wouldn't do it. The software people didn't want to do it. So the hardware people adjusted the MSU rating and cut it down. So you actually got, you could go from 100 MSU to a 100 MSU machine, but you'd get 5 to 10% more capacity devils them (laughs) (laughs) that threw a wrench into your calculator (laughs) it did throw a wrench and they did this for several machines and then they stopped so now what they provide so now in today's world there are it got adjusted so often that in today's world there are about eight msu's uh, eight MIPS per MSU. And in place of the MSU discount, they have something now called technology upgrade pricing, which is a new discount. And it says when you go from an EC12 to a Z13, you get a an extra 10% discount on your price on your software prices. So this TUP pricing uh is has now taken over just to make pricing simple, <laughs> right. of yeah. course. Oh, it's way better now. <laughs> <laughs> so Frank, I don't know if that story was true about the hardware people and the software people but the result meant that MSUs and MIPS just floated apart. <laughs> and I can neither confirm nor deny. Right. <laughs> um, but I was going back. Yeah, we're getting back on the highway. Getting back on the highway. <laughs> I was talking about this rolling four-hour average at, um, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when Kix is running. Um, the dev test uh, test jobs running through were taking 50 MSUs and production and the entire machine was taking 600. So the concept of container pricing is we're holding the developers back from being able to run during peak time. So let's put that in a container. Let's put those 50 MSUs in a container. We'll charge you, IBM will charge you for 50 MSUs. 
but we'll let you have 300 and we won't charge you any more. So now, running in the container, people can run six times as much work during that peak rolling four-hour average. And they're very excited. I mean, this is what they've wanted. They don't have to move development off of ZOS. They can run it in the middle of the day. Their developers can use as much time as they want. And everybody is happy. But there's a little secret. I, I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody's happy. <laughs> Not everybody's happy because there is something known as the high utilization effect. And if you've gone to any of Gary King or David Hutton's uh, sessions at, at Share or any place else, you'll see that. As the CPU gets busier, the CPU time of every job goes up. And it's about, it's between 3 to 5% increased CPU time for every 10% CPU utilization. So if you're running at 70% busy, and you add more work and go to 80% busy, then all of the work on that machine increases their CPU usage by about 4%. It's been happening forever. It's only been really identified in the past four or five years. But it's a real effect, and you can measure it. And that happens regardless of how container lines are drawn. This is dev and this is test and this is broad. Very, very insightful. Okay. <laughs> yes. Huh. So now let's take our 600 MSU peak rolling four-hour average and let the 50 MSUs of dev test grow to 300. And now you're running at 50% busier than you were, and your peak rolling four-hour average for everything else now goes up by, say, 12%, 15%, something like that. People don't understand that. And so that's one of the things where... IBM is really trying to simplify their pricing metric, and I applaud them for that. But the rest of the pricing is so complex that if you don't understand it, and quite honestly, there are very few of us that do. If you don't understand it, then it's just over your head. And the other thing that, that I see relating to pricing is that the contracts are all done by procurement people. Running LPARs are all done by systems people. The two don't talk. In fact, they seldom realize that the others exist. <laughs> and if you don't know that by adding another LPAR and putting DB2 in it, that you just blew your budget for the entire year, um, 
they won't know until the end of the year. Yeah, right. And and likewise, when procurement makes a judgment as to how much capacity they're going to need, they they're working from where they are now. And if the system programmers run at a different utilization or change the number of CLPs, logical partitions, to on each LPAR, it could change the cost. And the fact is that because people don't understand it, they make mistakes. So, that was a long way to no, answer no, no, that. It's, it's you. You've answered so many questions that have uh, been sitting on the the, uh, the shelf of things to ask somebody when it come when it, you know, when the opportunity arises. So yeah, this you, has really been. You awesome. answered a lot of questions for me right there. That helps a ton. So it's it sounds like though that you spend more time kind of doing business calculations than uh, okay, you're using X number of of MSUs, right? It sounds like kind of navigating through these different pricing models in order to figure out what's what's best for for this particular data center at this particular time. It 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 sounds like it's not just reading a set of RMF reports and saying you're doing this. It's it's trying to figure out how you mix and match all this stuff at the right at the right price point, right? What has changed in the past few years for us is that we had traditionally been ignoring the rolling four-hour average. I don't know at what point it really started to come into play with us, but as we talked to from one customer to another, it was the question they asked the most of, how do I reduce the cost? It, it comes along with management that says, geez, the, the mainframe is so expensive. And they see that because the mainframe bill comes in as one bill and the distributed bills come in to different people at different places and they don't add them all up. And so there's been a, a much higher focus on the cost. And in every customer we've gone to, we look at the cost and realize that the only thing that matters is that peak rolling four-hour average. And so that has pushed us in a path during the past four years toward looking at pricing, finding the rolling four-hour average, and attacking it. Because that's the way we can help our customers the most. Now, in attacking the rolling four-hour average, we can identify it easy enough. But once you get to that point, you have to figure out, What's going to help them? And that goes back to the traditional capacity planning, performance, tuning. And so what we have is we have a bag of tricks that we've collected over 50 years (laughs) that says if DB2 is running during your peak rolling four-hour average, 
what can you do to reduce the cost of DB2, the CPU cost of DB2? Well, we have a list of 30, 40 items of what can be done. So then you go to the traditional performance area and say, well, the first thing you can do is give it lots and lots of storage. (laughs) And the second thing you could do is give it zips and don't turn off zip processing for DB2. And the third thing you can do is fix frames because now that you have this really cheap memory and we try to get people to to add memory as much as they can. So so that goes back to the traditional. So that's why I said it's it's kind of a spectrum. We used to just say, oh, you're running DB2? Here's how you can reduce DB2. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're running sort? Here's how you can reduce sort. Right. We don't do that anymore. We find out where the peak is, and then we use all of our traditional methods. And when you were talking about an ISV, so if an ISV says we can reduce MLC, look at how they can reduce it. And if that product is running during the peak, it could very easily pay for itself overnight. If it's running in what we call the white space, any other time other than the rolling four hour average, that's not going to do you squat. Unless you're charging back for it or something. Now, is there any way of like accurately predicting or modeling um, what a four-hour rolling average period or a peak usage hour is, is going to look like with changes in place? Or obviously you have a lot of experience and intuition in here. but Or is it kind of like, let's make these changes and, and see what happens? I'm sure this isn't allowed for marketing purposes, but we have our own tools to do that. <laughs> that's, that's what I expected. <laughs> no, there's no standard one that I know. Okay. Um, you can do some modeling with CP3000. Ooh, that sounds fancy. Uh, that's IBM's. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's an IBM internal and business partner tool. Okay. So we're actually um, over our time. Um, so... We're going to have to do this again. But it's been a real honor to have a, a, a doyen of the Z community, such as yourself, uh, um, be on our show. Well, thank you very much. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry I go on and on. No, but I, no, very I awesome. love awesome. this stuff so much. It, it, it comes through. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's awesome. I, our, our listeners are going to learn so much from this because you put so much information in there. This was awesome. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Old Man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.